Hey, hey, good morning, Christchurch. Hey, it's okay. I understand your disappointment. You probably didn't expect to see me here on this beautiful Sunday morning. But it's too late. 20 minutes in, doors are locked. You can't go. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, uh, my name is Cruz Reda. I'm the worship minister here at Christ Church, and I'm just excited to be able to share the word with you guys this morning. Um, and we're continuing this theme, uh, this sermon series on the letter of James uh, and this idea of faith and works and what that means for us. Um, uh, yeah, and we're continuing in our third week of this series. Uh, if you were here with us last week, Matt Pinnell shared with us this. Uh, it is one thing to listen and receive the word, but it's another to act on it. And that was a powerful sermon. But this morning, before we continue, um, will you join me in prayer? Uh, dear God, we just thank you for today. We thank you for... Um, the opportunity that we have to just be here to listen, to experience, to follow, to obey, to trust. Um, God, we just pray that in this moment that um, the words coming out of my mouth be yours, that uh, what you have led me in understanding and believing uh, and truly, faithfully serving you this morning as we've been preparing through this series. God, we just pray that people today can uh, be renewed and strengthened in what they know, but also encouraged to uh, live their life in faith um, and continue to serve you faithfully. We thank you. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray all these things. Uh, Philadelphia, 19, oh, sorry, not 19, 1758, there was a leadership meeting by the Quaker Church, and at this session that there were many presentations on the approach of slavery. Uh, to keep peace, many of the Quakers at this meeting wished to avoid conflict. They, uh, they were wanting to avoid conflict and division by simply letting it play out. Let's see what happens, they said. Uh, some presented that there should be restrictions on slave buying, while others uh, altogether said that the decision should just be delayed. And all this while, at the same time, they believed truly that slavery should be abolished. And through this meeting sat one man, and he sat in silence and head bowed and tear-filled eyes. And finally, he stood up and he spoke and he shared in his fear and his tears and his anger and his frustration. And he said, should we, ne should we now be sensible of what he requires of us? Neglect to do our duty and firmness and consistency, still waiting for some extraordinary means to bring about their deliverance. And this moved the meeting to act. They responded. And without any opposition, they removed slavery from their midst. At this point in history, no other religious body, in fact, no other body in general, no other group of people organized or disorganized or whatever you might want to say, nobody had ever taken this action. And here in North Carolina, due to Southern laws, it was impossible to grant freedom to slaves. And so they went around the law by, uh, by donating slaves to the state. Uh, they, do they donated them to society and they gave virtual freedom where real freedom wasn't yet accepted by the state. And this was the story of John Woolman, a man whose understanding of God and his faith led him to act despite the norm or the belief that someone else will come and do that. Someone else can do that. It's not my responsibility. The concept of understanding your faith and acting in faith, it's not a new idea. 
It's one that's plagued the minds of believers throughout all of history. I've got a couple quotes here. Uh, You see, Bonhoeffer said this. He said, Faith without works is not faith at all, but a simple lack of obedience to God. Charles Spurgeon said, Faith and works are bound up in the same bundle. He that obeys God trusts God, and he that trusts God obeys God. He that is without faith is without works, and he that is without works is without faith. And I love how C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, regarding the debate on faith and works, it's like asking which blade on a pair of scissors is more important. So is there really a debate? To James, there seemed to be. And according to James chapter 2, it was one worth having. It was this conversation worth having. And he elaborates on this idea by discussing the relationship between faith and works. And the author presents this question, what good is faith if it leads to no action? So this morning we're going to start off, we're going to read through James uh, chapter 2, verses 14 and 16. And you can just join me by reading up on the screen. And James writes, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes or daily food. If you say to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing for their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God good. Even demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This discussion has drawn the attention of many pastors and theologians for hundreds of years and they've been asking the same question that James presents at the beginning of this passage in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters? Oh, are we gone? Okay. Check. Check. Should I just grab another microphone? Keep going. All right. Hello? Hello? There we go. <laughs> All right, I'm just going to take this off because if not, it's just going to bug me the whole time. Thank you, guys. All right, so um, the same question that is presented in James at the very beginning of this passage, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save him? These two questions are at the heart of the debate 
that C.S. Lewis presents. What good is all the faith in the world if it doesn't move us to action? How can we have faith if we are not moved to serve? What is the connection between our faith in God, the salvation that we receive through Jesus, and our actions? That's the part of this verse that's so difficult to understand. And I want to go to Paul in Ephesians. He says this uh, in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not, for, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift from God. Not by works so that you can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. So on one hand, it seems clear that, or from scripture at least, that salvation comes through faith alone, not because of anything that we do. But you can't deny that a faith-filled person should be someone of righteous action. It's commonly said, we are not saved by good works, but to good works. Have you guys heard that before? You know, once we have received full salvation the righteous action of a transformed heart and mind will follow. Jesus makes this clear. In Matthew 7, uh, verses 15 through 20, it says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. That's blunt. That's straight there. That's straightforward, simple. It's practical. It makes a lot of sense, and I love how Jesus is just very redundant with this. And he says, every good tree will bear good fruit. Every bad tree will bear bad fruit, vice versa. Not a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, but a bad tree also can't bear good fruit. It's just that simple. And right before this in chapter 7, uh, Jesus confronts his audience, in fact. He goes a step forward. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I just stumbled on that. He just continues a little bit more, and he gives a little bit of a prerequisite, if you will, to this passage. And he says, you should not judge others. So we're not called to judge the deeds of others. Instead, we are called to inspect the fruit. Inspect the fruit of those people. Because every person is called to give fruit in their lives. If you are a Christ follower, you are called to produce fruit. And not every tree produces the same fruit or the same amount of fruit. But we can expect that those in Christ will produce fruit of some kind, whether that be good or bad. I asked a question to a friend once, and I said, how do you bridge this gap? How do you, how do you go from knowledge and what you think and what you understand into actually doing something? Because I think a lot of times we can feel, we can think, we can understand something, we can read in Scripture and come to a conclusion, but then there's nothing that comes about. So how do you bridge that? And we were discussing uh, spiritual formation and the necessity of spiritual growth within the church body. And I said, how do you go from, okay, yeah, I should be praying. Yeah, I should be fasting. Yeah, I should be 
doing these things uh, into actually doing them. And he said to me, spiritual formation happens whether you want to or not, whether intentionally or unintentionally. The difference is every day of our lives, we are being spiritually formed. But are we going towards holiness through our actions, through our deeds, through our thoughts? Or are we disobeying God and going towards unrighteousness? So at the end of the day, you are growing and you are producing fruit, whether you think about it or not. So I want us to go a little bit further. And this morning, I want to encourage you to inspect your own fruit. What is it that you are producing? What is it that you are giving? What is it that you are doing to impact the kingdom of God? So it's not that our works save, but rather once saved, the kingdom works will follow. We are to do because of who we are, because of our identity. Um, James continues to support this passage, or this point in uh, verses 15 and 16. He says, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If, you, if one of you says to them, go in peace and keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Here's where he makes it personal. What if your brother or sister is in need? Someone who you share faith with, someone who you see daily, someone that you talk to, someone that you walk up to and you say, hey, how are you doing this morning? And they just say, I'm okay, I'm good. Because that's the common phrase that we get. But you see that there's a physical need or perhaps they are humble, perhaps they break down, perhaps they just want to share with you, hey, this is what's happening, but then we do nothing. It's not someone from the street, not someone we don't know, but someone in our fellowship. If you see someone in need and try to warm them with words, but nothing else, is your faith real? That's basically what James is saying. I'm not saying it. All right, don't get mad at me. But James is saying, is your faith real? Is your faith impacting your daily walk, the way that you respond, the way that you interact, the way that you seek forward? If not, I guess the question is there, then what are we even doing? What are we doing here on a Sunday morning? Or are we truly allowing God to transform our lives and be moved to obediently serve? You know, this idea was presented a second ago of obedience. So are we obeying God or are we disobeying God? God never told me that directly. But God is telling us through scripture that we are to be doing something. And then James continues, in the same way, by faith itself, faith by itself is not, let me try again, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. And I'm sure many of us have heard that before. You know, some have asked the question, well, does it really matter? They're doing good things. Does it really matter? Like, and I think, I think that's a uh, magnifying glass. That's something to inspect inside the church because a lot of times we have the right faith, but have we done anything? Okay, cool. You believe something, but have you done something? Have you gone in action because of what you believe? Okay, cool. You voted a certain way, but have you done something? Okay, cool. You've told people this, but are you doing something? Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. And then this is James's response. 
Show me your faith by, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even demons believe that, and they shudder. He's basically applauding his church for having good theology, right? James is basically saying, all right, cool, you know all the things. You understand, you believe, you say these things. You have the right answers when someone asks you, who is Jesus? You have all of this information. You come to church weekly. You go to Bible study. You go to small groups. You, 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 you talk with people about your faith. Good. Even demons have the right knowledge. They have proper doctrine and they shudder. And here's where he presents the struggle. The struggle is theory versus practice. And that was the question that I asked my friend. How do you bridge the gap between theory and practice? I know this, but how do I do this or get to the point of doing something? What he's saying is that you can have the correct orthodoxy, which is knowledge. You can know all of the right thing, but without orthopraxy, the practice of faith, it doesn't really matter. Even demons have the right knowledge. They know who God is, and they seek to steal, kill, and destroy. Their actions are unrighteous, and the fruit of their existence is rotten. And James gets fired up. In verse 20, he says this. He says, you foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? I can imagine this guy just being like, mm, as he's writing this down, like, I hope they understand what I'm trying to say. Do you realize, do you have evidence, do you need evidence that faith without deeds is just useless? Apparently, whatever's going on, he's just, he's just torn down. Maybe he was tired of trying to inspire people. Maybe he was just exhausted of the fight. Maybe his congregation was just too comfortable with what they knew and how they have been fed these words and this knowledge. You know, you're also thinking James is the brother of Jesus, and he's out here preaching to this people. You should be doing just as my brother did, just as my brother obeyed God and died because of our sins. You should be doing more. You should be doing something, if not more. Whatever the case, he, he gives this next example that just speaks right into their Jewish community, into their hearts, and it's a look into the life of Abraham, who is willing to sacrifice his own son in obedience to God. And uh, James chapter 2, verse 21 and uh, through 23, he says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith was active along with his works. And his faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God. And it was, continued, it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. That's powerful proof right there. That's proof that spoke to them as a Jewish community. If you want more evidence of what he's trying to say, we can go to Hebrews 11. 
And I'm not going to read all of these, but there's just, there's plenty here. Uh, in Hebrews 11, it's, the chapter is called Faith in Action. It says, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life and so that he did not experience faith or so that he did not experience death. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his life. By faith, Abraham. By faith, David. By faith, Joseph. By faith, Moses. By faith, Rahab. By faith, Isaac. By faith. You get the picture, right? By faith. That's the common phrase, by faith. That's the point that's being made, that Abraham, just as these people mentioned in Hebrews 11, had incredible faith, and it was active in their works. Their faith was involved in their works. I got the opportunity to uh, talk to a friend of mine who's a part of Greene County School System, and we chatted about uh, the work of a principal and what it means to be a principal, and for him, and this particular school, what it means for them to equip students beyond the classroom. There was a need presented to them. Administration saw that there was a gap between uh, the success of their female and students, uh, and female and male students academically. The girls were growing academically, and their test scores were showing positive results, and the boys were just being left behind. And they saw a correlation between that, their academic progress, and their uh, behavior issues. And they surveyed and they realized that there was a need for positive role models in the school system. Most of the school were lady educators, like the staff was lady educators, and the majority of the students also lived in single mom households. There were, there were these young boys who needed to learn to be men and there was no one to teach them. So administration recognized that need, they partnered with successful local men, and they asked them to spend time with these students. About once a month, they encouraged these students to uh, dress up and, and wear professional clothing, you know, like ties and suits and uh, shirts. Uh, and, and if they don't have those things, they were provided for them, also that they could just have the opportunity to be the kind of people that they could be. Just presenting that to them. Our friend Phil Cook, who isn't here with us this morning, and all of West Green Elementary recognized there was a need to serve their students beyond the everyday school programming. And they took a step forward in making Green County a better place. There was a small group from Christ Church that used to meet here many years, or, or some years ago, I don't know how, how long, it was before me. <laughs> uh, and they weekly met and they discussed everything that they read. They were going through a book that talked to them or encouraged them to act on the crazy love of God. And they read this book and, and, and it described the difference that it should make in their everyday lives. After meeting for a while, they felt moved to begin packing lunches and donating them to a local shelter. And they did this for months. They were packing foods and dropping them off. And then they continued to serve by creating bag, bags of foods uh, for local school students, local public school students who didn't have food at home. This program was called Backpack Pals. Some of you might remember that. And it was a great part of our church for a while. The people in this small group had no idea that their simple act of obedience would lead to the start of a nonprofit organization that currently feeds 120 students every week in our public school system. And that's how 86 Hunger started. 
by seeing a need and acting in faith along with that. And we heard from Michael Murphy last week. He shared, he came up and shared that uh, their mission statement comes from James 2. If you see your brother and sister in need and they don't have food and they don't have shelter, what good is it if you don't do anything? You might be wondering why I'm sharing all these stories. You know, what's the point? What, what am I trying to say? It's the evidence here. Faith and works are partners. As mentioned earlier, it's like trying to decide which blade on a pair of scissors is more important. You need both. It's that simple. Your works flow from your faith, and your faith will grow because of your works. Like the story of Abraham, who in the darkest moment was about to sacrifice his only son in obedience. God intervened, and his faith grew exponentially. You probably heard that faith is like a muscle. The more you exercise it, the stronger it becomes. But not all of us are inclined to thrust ourselves into uh, or our families into situations that will stimulate faith to grow, especially in the ways that James probably had in mind to his audience, to his church, um, the Jewish church in Jerusalem that was being persecuted. And yet these are some of the moments where we grow the most. This is where faith grows, during suffering and pain, hardship and persecution. Maybe James was just trying to inspire his church to keep going, to keep fighting the good fight, like Paul would say. Maybe it had been difficult enough for long enough, and people were starting to lose hope. Maybe a reminder that faith without action is dead was the exact kind of blunt truth that this early church community needed to hear. Maybe that's what you needed to hear this morning. Maybe that's what I needed to hear this morning. We live in a, a, we live in a pretty easy culture right now, if we're honest. Uh, we don't have the same sort of restrictions or persecution or difficulty that James and his audience would have had at the time of writing. And it's no secret that there are believers around the world who face real life or death persecution because of their faith. Their experience in faith is dramatically different than yours and mine. So today I want to encourage us. What does it mean for us in our context, in, in our lives, in our, uh, you know, you might be a single mom of two children. You, you might be a stay-at-home parent. You might be working every single day. And maybe Sundays is the only day that you're able to come to church. Maybe your child is sick, so you're not here. Maybe whatever it might be, every one of us have an opportunity to act on our faith. So we ask God these two questions. What is it that you're leading me towards? And how can I learn to obey faithfully? Let us not grow complacent in our faith. Allow yourself to enter situations that might stretch you a little bit, might make you uncomfortable, but will also help you grow as a believer. Pray that God will give you the courage and conviction to step out in faith. And remember, the world is hungry for the good news of Jesus. 
And we are God's chosen ambassadors to spread the message. The same spirit that filled John Woolman, the same spirit that gave awareness to West Green Elementary, the same spirit that, that sparked up this desire to serve the community in this small group and that pushed it to becoming 86 hunger that is now impacting the lives of many in our community. That's the same spirit that is wanting to work within us, with us, to transform the world by addressing the needs of our brothers and sisters, by calling us towards loving and serving our neighbors. Let your faith in your works be co-laborers for the kingdom. Let's pray together. Dear God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for uh, the early church and what it is that we can learn from them, how we can continue to serve you and your kingdom faithfully. God, we pray for opportunities of obedience, for experiences that we can come before you and your throne and pray and ask what it is that you want us to do. God, I pray that we can continue to move forward in faith and strength. Be renewed as we serve you daily, as we obediently come before you. And we ask these questions. What is it that you're calling me towards? God, how is it that my faith can grow? What is it that you want me to do? And give us the courage to obey to follow, to trust. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.